Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to see you again. Oh, it's so good to see you, Catherine. Your hair looks absolutely lovely. Don't! That's so unfair of you. <laughs> if you didn't watch my last webinar session, we had 78% humidity and my hair actually did curl itself whilst we were live on air, which was funny, <laughs> interesting, really. <laughs> Thanks for that, Sarah. If you'd like to have more of an introduction about yourself rather than my own curling issues, that would be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, a little bit of background about myself. Uh, you know, I'm Sarah Hanks. Um, and, you know, why data quality resonates so much with me and data resonates so much with me is the first like 11 years of my career were predominantly um, quality functions. So I was a Six Sigma black belt. I worked in quality engineering in the shop floor. Um, and I worked in the quality systems function that's responsible for like processes and audits and corrective actions. And then the last 11 years, I've really been focused on digital transformation and then leading teams of data analytics that includes having data scientists and working with IT functions, building out an analytics roadmap, um, et cetera. And, you know, when I first got connected with you, Catherine and Farah on, you know, what do we want to talk about? And you guys said, well, you talk about data quality with such passion. I had never even occurred to me that I was so passionate about it. <laughs> and the more I thought about getting to talk about it, I was like, no, I'm really passionate about this subject. <laughs> I, think it, I think it is quite overlooked uh, within the company environment, certainly on my day-to-day -day job um, here at Wimpure. It's kind of one of those things we go, oh, we need to improve our data quality and then and uh, normally the person with the budget says that it's not necessary. Uh, yes. So no, this is this is hoped it's going to be a really interesting <laughs> chat, Sarah. And we really appreciate you taking the time out as well. I know oh, what your God. schedule is like. So <laughs> it is appreciated. But what I'm going to do is I've got some questions that we had beforehand. And there'll be questions coming in, some of which you'll see, uh, some of which are going to come in, as I said, through the YouTube stream. Um, I know you wanted to keep it quite spontaneous, but I also know that you did want to address uh, some of the subjects of data quality. So I'm going to ask you the first question. And I know you wanted um, to show some slides, perhaps in the answer, just let me know if you want to do that. And I'll switch the screen for you. Okay. But the first question, which is an enormous question to ask anybody, <laughs> but how would you define data quality? All right. So before I jump into defining what data quality is, I want to describe what quality means in the industry, right? Quality actually has two meanings or it's the definition is used in one of two ways. One is around compliance. Did you do what you say you were going to do? And then the second is around usefulness. If you build a product, but it doesn't have utility, it, you're not meeting the quality intent either. Just even though you made it correctly, you know, like, <laughs> so when it comes to data, I really want to encompass data quality. I want to encompass both elements. So when I thought about all of the things that I think are important to define as data quality, I ended up with a list of 10 items. And so I thought a presentation to like go through each of these sure. um, would be a little bit easier than me just kind of verbalizing all of them. <laughs> no problem. Let me just add your screen so that they can see a slide. Oh, there perfect. you go. All right. So do I have the, can I click? Yes, I can. Yeah. So the first thing when I think data quality um, really boils down to accuracy. 
Um, the data that's captured, it has to be correct, um, indisputably correct. And I have another point later for data that lives a little bit more in the gray area. Um, and so, you know, I, I think you don't want to have data that gets corrupted over time. You need to make sure that it's accurate in the first place. If you've got email addresses and they're related to a customer, are they the great email addresses? Um, you know, I think that anytime you're doing some kind of marketing or outreach to your customers, are you getting in touch with the right people? I think that accuracy with data yeah. is really important. I think there's also some confusion. I don't know if you'd agree with me this, but most people don't have one email address. They have four. And yeah. the minute you start sending out a mail shot, the same mail shot to those four email addresses, you've irritated me. Oh, yes. <laughs> you already sent me this email. Why are you emailing me? <laughs> I intentionally gave you this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, the next, the next thing I think about is completeness. I think um, if you have a set of data that your company has Im deemed important, it's necessary that those blanks are filled in. So if you've got a set of data, you know, it goes back to your webinar on, and the completeness and the email addresses and missing all this information from sales, right? Like, yeah. I think it's important to, um, you know, make sure that the important data is present and, and available in your systems. Um, the next one is consistent. And what I mean by this is over time, companies have introduced different systems into their IT ecosystem. And, let's say customer is an important attribute, but the customer gets defined differently in each of the systems. So a data quality issue exists because you can't marry that data seamlessly up with each other. And so having the data consistently defined across or introducing some sort of master data management solution to help bridge that gap um, you know, is something that needs to be considered from a data quality perspective. And how um, often, because I do speak to a lot of people and they say, oh, well, we just need to get our data quality done. And I'm like, but what about in three months? What about in six months? Um, but I hear that a lot. Let's just do one clean and then we know we're okay. And But you're always enriching your data, I would hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, enriching. And then what happens when new data comes in? Who's responsible for that? How do they make sure it's accurately defined in the first place? I mean, I think there's a lot um, that goes into like the implementation side of things and the data quality plan with having a process defined, having owners associated with each step of the process. Yeah, you know, I think with data, it's no different than building a product or, or producing a service. Um, and I think valid data needs to be valid. And what I mean by that is dates need to be recorded as dates. And if you have a syntax that's required, let's say it's a serial number or barcode, um, UPC, you know, string, you would expect it to be so many characters. Maybe there's a specific letter that needs to be considered. Um, you know, all of that is kind of part of valid. Um, data should be singular. And really that's, the opposite of duplicates, right? Nobody wants to have duplicates in their data. 
Um, sometimes when you have two data sets and you smash them together, you end up with what's called a Cartesian product and you end up with multiple lines of the same data. <laughs> and if you're not careful and you're trying to explain something and you, um, you know, overstate what reality is, you know, that could get you into a lot of trouble. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Especially if you're a marketing manager and you believe you have a million email addresses to send to and the reality <laughs> is you have 200,000 people to send to. Correct. So <laughs> when you see the results of that marketing campaign, you're kind of not starting at the right point. That's right. Everything's going to look appear to be inflated and you might make, you know, wrong, wrong decisions based on that. So um, I think data needs to be seamless. Um, it's not uncommon that data moves from one system to another, or maybe your company has a data lake or some sort of data warehouse. Um, those jobs need to make sure that um, if you're doing a, hey, I'm going to delete all the data and put it back, you need to make sure that job finishes and that system works properly. If you're moving data through some sort of update, again, you need to make sure that that job completes and it completes correctly um, in order to maintain good quality data. Um, data needs to be repeatable. Like sometimes we want to categorize situations. Let's say you're looking at customer complaints. And all it is, is it's a, a bunch of text. Maybe you're looking at, um, you know, your social media and looking at comments on Twitter, or comments on Facebook. Um, it, it's in order to drive improvement actions against all those comments, it's really helpful to categorize the data, but everybody has to do it consistently. And so, you know, Catherine, if you're labeling something as being a type of problem and I'm labeling it as being a type of problem, we need to match. Yes, and I, and I do know exactly what you mean on social media in that respect. There's a lot of companies that they might deal with the problem on social media, but it's not then transferred into a knowledge base that that that, that issue is occurring. And yeah, you can see that happening quite a lot. And it's there's it's like if you could take that and put it into a knowledge base and wrap, attach a category for it, then you can look at, hey, in the last six months, what were our biggest issues? And yeah. then, you know, as a company, drive improvement plans around that to help with your customer satisfaction. But if you don't get that right in the first place, yeah. you know, <laughs> forget it. It sounds silly, but categorizing unhappy customers, I think is really important. Because if somebody's complaining and complaining and it's all about the same topic and you've got them wrongly categorized and you're sending them really cheerful emails asking to buy another product, you know, you, you're sending the wrong message that the customer hasn't been heard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think data quality has to consider how long it needs to be preserved. Um, in some industries, there's a retention policy attached to specific data. Um, in highly regulated industries, you may need to hold on to specific data for 20 years. Yes. And so like the systems in place need to consider what that retention looks like and adhere to that. And then in the same vein is, you know, of compliance is the broader picture of compliance. There's privacy laws, right? Privacy laws can not only be, you know, European versus the rest of the world, but even within a country, even a region within a country, the uh, privacy laws based on specific yes. personal data 
um, can be different. And all of those things need to be considered in order to have quality data. And of course, we have the wonderful GDPR over here in Europe. Yep. <laughs> but it impacts. I remember when GDPR was was coming about and, you know, working with our IT teams on, um, I didn't have too much direct contact, but like having to think about, you know, what, what do we need to change? What do we need to do differently, you know, to be able to comply with that standard? So, um, and then the last one, and I think this is the most important and you really want to have the rest of it right first is data needs to be accessible. Um, and that's where, you know, you really are getting the usefulness out of it is when people, you know, data is democratized, it's available to people. They, there's, um, you know where to get it, how to get it, how to use it and extract insights from it. So across the company, you know, yeah, across. it could be a salesperson that wants to do some digging. It could be, um, yeah, across yeah. the organization. I so agree with that. And it's such a great way to break down silos, right? Because um, if, if your data is available cross-functionally, then everybody can see what the source of truth is and they can speak the same language and it's no longer like this territorial thing. You really, you really do break down those walls. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Within organizations, you can find departments that have their own complete different data sets, mm -hmm. even though they've got the same customer, but they keep their own data sets in different ways. And that's not always very useful. Yeah, it's no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. <laughs> like, I think you would, so your definition of data quality to summarize that first hugely broad question, I bet you're drinking a really healthy drink while I'm still drinking coffee. Oh, it's coffee. <laughs> oh, so bad. It was like green tea or something horrendously healthy. Oh, Brilliant. no, it's coffee <laughs> with, you know, cream and, <laughs> and, and syrup. It tastes delicious. <laughs> all the way how would sorry sorry sarah how would you define that to summarize the best you can on how do you define data quality i mean i would say at a high level data quality is is data that's trustworthy okay i like that answer i'm just remove the slides that you finished your last slide then Henry. yes yep. i'll give you i'll jump the gun on you that's brilliant i can see uh that uh, somebody on LinkedIn is saying that they've been reading a lot about your posts and you're well penned. Oh. That's an expression I haven't heard in a while. I like no. that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this uh, second question here, which kind of reverts back to that last slide. Who is responsible? IT or the business user or marketing? Who? takes responsibility because I know we hit a glass ceiling quite a lot when we get to the finance level because yeah. that's money and it doesn't always relate back so who would you think was responsible I think it's you know the short answer is everybody is responsible for data quality um, I think if you look at each one of those elements there is a specific owner potentially Right. Like when I think about data accuracy, I think of where in the process is that data captured? Who is doing that process? Who's mm -hmm. responsible for executing that specific step? They own the data 
accuracy. Yeah. They own the data completeness. They own the <laughs> making sure that it's in the valid format. Although IT is also responsible for a valid format because they can programmatically validate the data as it's being input if it's expected yeah. to be a certain way, right? But when it comes to transitioning data from system to system, that's an IT owned function. You know, they need to stand up the monitoring jobs and then respond if something doesn't work correctly and have a plan if there's a systemic issue moving data to make sure that, you know, there's those improvements over time. Um, and and I, I don't think it's limited to different levels of the organization either. I mean, certainly there's there's um, times where a transaction happens, data gets captured at a specific level and you know, I will go back to customer complaints, right? Maybe it's somebody in customer service on the phone um, and they're, maybe you have a system where you're transcribing the conversation into a system. Maybe you're taking notes or whatever. Um, you know, there is a, a person who's doing that job that's responsible for it, but they roll up into the organization and where they roll up into should be just as responsible and accountable to making sure that the data quality um, at all levels is, it is happening because I mean, without a good, strong quality data foundation, like any decisions you make are going to be suspicious out of it. Yeah. So yes, because you're using the data to read the analytics. So if the data is incorrect, then you're analyzing your own business incorrectly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good answer. I'm just going to bring all the IT directors and go, by the way, it's you. <laughs> 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 well, I think I think one more thing to add too. Well, maybe we'll get to that in a little bit, but <laughs> no, add away. Oh, I mean, it's a partnership, and I think you know as you start to really dive into the data quality and expose where the deficiencies are, um, it's got to be a joint effort to solve for those things as well. Okay, there's a, there's a few people I know. I'm going to send this recording to. <laughs> 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 Love it. Uh, so we've got another question here. Uh, how do you start with the data quality plan? What are the problems you should tackle first? And that is a tough one, especially for the smaller companies. Is where, where do they start? Because we all talk about a nice big MDM solution with real time problem solving issues. But for a lot of companies, they haven't started the process. So where do they start tackling it? How would you advise them to get going? So I think that to start, um, I think it's important to define a scope. Data, we're data rich. I don't know of any company that's not data rich. Um, but what to do with the data and and transform it into insights and make decisions out of it, that that's that's where the missing link is, I think. And it, it really does start with data quality. You can't tackle it all at once. Um, no. And so you need to have a prioritized scope. So the first thing that I recommend looking at is what's the foundational fundamental data needed to run your business? Okay. So that, right. that first data set that you know is the most important data set, let's get that accurate, cleaned, et cetera. Yes. And it, yeah, it's not 30 things. It's probably five. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? It's going to be five things. And, and you have to remember, this is the most important data for your business. And what I like to think of those critical data elements is the cost of doing business. People don't want to take pay taxes, right? But they have to. It's like just what you have to do, right? <laughs> I'm saying that way. <laughs> you know, it's it's not. And if if you know, in a in a data culture like company, that's the cost of doing business is making sure that fundamental data is right. But it's like I said, it's a small scope. It's the most important. Um, and then from a scope perspective, I think the next thing I would look at is what are the operational KPIs that you have within your business? Um, it might not be, you know, like, um, is there, are you looking at win loss? Are you looking at um, retention? Are you looking at churn? Are you like, whatever those operational metrics are looking like, there's two things that you want to look at in scope when you get into that phase. Um, the first is what do you need to compute the KPI? And is that, clean data or are you doing a lot of manual intervention to get those numbers yeah as um, the user has said no way your data is yes <laughs> who's holding that who's got it <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yes <laughs> and we do have a question from the youtube channel okay um, do companies need a big budget to embark on a data quality strategy um i I don't think that's necessary. I think it helps to have a budget for sure. I also some don't budget. know with it. <laughs> it helps have some budget. But yeah, I think, exactly. Yeah, it goes back to companies think that they have to have this huge custom built solution to get going on this. And obviously here I, at Wimpure, we don't believe that at all. Yeah. I think, I mean, so back to like the plan question, right? Like once you've yeah. selected something that's small, I think the next thing you can do, and this is free, right, is do an audit of your data. Do yeah. an audit of your data. It, take a sample. It, you don't have to look at every single data point. That's unnecessary. You can take a 10% swing of looking at your data across the systems. Is it consistent? Is it accurate? Is it, you know, take a sample, understand, and then you'll measurably know where your problems are. Yeah. And some of those problems you can solve with process. Some of those problems you can solve with tools, <laughs> you know, and it, it, you know, and it, each one of those things, it's, I mean, the budget will get bigger, the, you know, more complex the problem is, um, but you, you might be able to find something. Do you, you think the budgets grow based on the results of what they're seeing in terms of their own data transformations and, the difference that makes to their own business? I mean, I that's that's been my experience is doing something small, getting a win, showing the ROI, and then using that ROI to justify the next set of investment. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of merit to that approach. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you on that one. It's of almost like funding. <laughs> What's that? I, I totally agree with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so let me just ask one of the other questions coming here. Do you think companies are more or less aware of data quality issues today compared with a few years ago? What changed? 
So I think there's been improvement. And I also think there's a long way to go. If you, you know, data started, I don't know, really becoming popular in, in data analytics and leveraging data science and all of that, I would say, at least in, in my industry, like in the 2014, 2015 era, um, I, there wasn't any talk, as I recall, on data quality then. It was kind of assumed that we have data quality. <laughs> what do we do? What's that? Of course we do. Of no, course. Data. Like, no, why would we think different? Like, we have data. We have data science now. We should just be able to build algorithms and, and win, right? Like, everything's going to be great. And I can tell you from experience, um, those early days of data science, there was data quality. Had we considered that up front, we probably would have saved ourselves a lot of pain and a lot of uh, um, use cases that went belly up because we didn't start with the basics first. Why do you think that, though? Because that's not that long ago. You're talking six, seven years. So what do you think made that change? I mean, there's a comment here about huge flux of data from 2022 and COVID and also GDPR. Do you think that's what drove um, the change? Sorry, I haven't got your name linked in you, so, but it's a good point you're making there. Yeah. Um, that all of a sudden in 2020, of course, everybody was ordering online and, you know, you suddenly got this huge amount of data to deal with. Do you think that's... I definitely think that's part of it. So if I was going to like walk the timeline, I would say in the beginning, there was a lot of buzz around analytics and machine learning and, and AI. And there was a lot of flop that happened um, and it left people. I mean, there was, I can't remember the HBR article, but there was like, I don't know, 80% of investment ended up in not resulting in value. Um and then when COVID hit, the tables turned for sure. You know, people found themselves at home. Um, companies were forced to embrace technology in ways they never had before, collaborate in new ways. Um, and then, yeah, to your point about people shopping online from that B2C standpoint, like there's all this new, you know, more data coming in. And I think the regulations is another um good point because that adds you know complexity are we you know now that we have all this data how do we use it in a way that's still compliant um yes thank think, you for that that was brett yes that thank you, thank you <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i mean i personally couldn't agree with you more i'm i was not an online shopper it's not my normal way and uh, not with groceries not with anything else but um obviously everybody had a different lockdown experience yeah. uh, certainly where i was uh we physically weren't allowed to leave the houses yeah. so um you suddenly had to become an online shopper so uh now uh, the marketing emails i get now from having to become an online shopper it's uh yeah quite interesting but yeah I, I think, uh, <laughs> Brett, Brett hit the nail on the head certainly from this household point of view yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just seeing another comment from another LinkedIn user. Again, I'm sorry, it's not coming up with people's names. I don't know why. Um, but data gets dirty the more free fields you have, like web forms and CRM. Um, and also if you have APIs that are out of date. Um, that's probably true, isn't it? The more, you, the more information you're asking a customer to give online, the more you've got a chance that the data is becoming 
less rich because we don't all like ask, answering loads of questions in order to buy a new no. kettle. You no. know, <laughs> what's your date of birth? Why? It's a kettle. It doesn't matter how old I am. <laughs> oh, the gated content too. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I agree. I think, you know, I, I have a, you know, another, I don't know, kind of passion for me is web development. Um, I don't in, in building apps. Um, And I think making them easy to use, you know, reduce the amount of input. You know, I think that's something we consider significantly in our, in, you know, my company's products because, we don't want the garbage data that you get no. when you ask for too many questions. And you have to answer those questions. You know, if it hasn't, it's got a red asterisk and you haven't answered it. And I think sometimes then people put gobbledygook because they're annoyed. Yeah, test, know, test. I can't see you know? any reason why I need to answer that question. And therefore, I don't want to. N-A-N-A-N-A-N-A. Yes, we've all seen those ones. And, uh, oh my goodness. My favorite was, um, <laughs> there was one data input field in one of our transactional systems. And the most commonly input answer was eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine, which is the phone number from a song. <laughs> from, I, mean, like, thinking, I know those numbers. How do I get yeah. <laughs> Is that Tom Jones? Um, it's Jenny. Who was it? Um, uh, Jenny, I think. Was it? Six, seven, yeah, I remember that. Well, you see, if you're asking somebody those kind of questions and they don't want to answer it, let them not answer it. Yeah. I think, I think that's important. Yeah, I um, agree. I will stay on these other questions coming from here and then I'll go back to the YouTube questions. Okay. How can I convince my decision makers to invest in data quality? Oh, let me answer that. Okay. Show them this, show them this webinar. <laughs> no, I'll let I'm, you ask that, Sarah. How do, how can somebody convince these decision makers? Because I don't get to talk to decision makers. I tend to be talking to people who have a problem, but they have to go off and talk to the decision maker, and then it kind of yeah yeah. We'll look at that later. How would you how would you help them to get? So, I mean, I think calculating how much time it's taking to do the intermediate step between the questions that are being asked by leaders and how long it's taking to furnish the answers. Um, I think quantifying that in terms of hours, that doesn't impact the bottom line. Um, However, if a person is spending two hours a day cleaning data to answer a question, that two hours a day could most certainly be repurposed to do Absolutely. better value add things. So I think that's that's important. I think also um, a visualization can be very powerful. And so what I like to do is actually show a map of the steps that are required to get to the answer. What do I have to do step by step? And and I like to um, show the, this process map with a little icon that represents, hey, I'm doing this step in Excel, I'm doing this step in email, I'm doing this step on a piece of post-it note, I'm doing this step. <laughs> Are there still post-it notes? Is that, What's that? Do we still have post-it notes? I definitely, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> I a long time. 
<laughs> I use them in like I do a lot of process mapping in my work. And um, when you get people in a conference room, a post to note can be a wonderful thing to like brainstorm and and rationalize ideas because they're mobile and easy. But I, I think yeah. if you can show a big, huge process map, right? And then you like this step, this step, this step, this step, this step is all manual. And you can say, hey, if we invest here, we can reduce the count of steps it takes by 80%. You know, that has value. And then I think also, is there specific data that resonates with the leadership? Would they care that a customer name is accurate? And, you know, if yes, what's the data telling you? What percentage of those customers are accurate? And maybe you can find that personal connection to some data that would be important and identify the gravity of the problem and get them to maybe look past that ROI financial conversation into, oh yeah, that's really important. We should do something. Yeah, no, good answer. Uh, thank you. Just saying, yes, uh, obviously, doing maybe some statistical analysis on trial software to show what the problem is with the data. Absolutely. Definitely through through us, you can do that. If you want to get some statistics to take to finance, <laughs> not a problem at all. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. <laughs> I have actually done that for a client before, run his data through his statistics yeah. and sent it to him so that he had something to go with. So, but yeah. I think your idea is better still to build on that and uh, give it real cost value because companies don't see bad data as a cost but it is a cost it is a cost and, and, and people don't want to not answer the mail if you're the vp and above and you're asking a question there will be an answer provided back and you might not understand what it takes to get that answer and you know, do you want your employees spending the entire eight hours in the day answering the question or do you want them to click a button, tell you the answer and then get on to something more productive. <laughs> now you're reminding me of one of those chat rooms where I, I ask a question and it comes up with something completely randomly different and I'm sitting there going, what? <laughs> <laughs> but I've now learned that trick. If you type human, you actually get a human. I've learned that. Oh. <laughs> I think that was supposed to be a secret, but now everybody knows. So now everybody knows. That's what that's what I didn't know. I'm gonna take that one with me for sure. Yeah, it works. It, it <laughs> works. Yeah. I'm just looking down this list of questions here. Hang on a minute. Okay. Oh. You kind of answered this in some ways, but I think you've got a lot more to say on this. What is the biggest barrier to fixing data quality problems? What's the biggest one that you hit when you came into these new roles with your progression? Um, I think, wow, well, I think culture. I mean, I hate to say it because that's such a big thing to tackle. Um, but when I, when I think, when I say culture, what I mean is that there's still a good amount of ignorance that exists because people have this preconceived notion that if I have data, it has quality. And it takes education and it takes exposure and it takes a statistical analysis to help people break that paradigm and understand that data isn't data unless it is also quality data. Um, 
I, and I, I just think it's a conversation that has to happen. I know for, for some projects that I've done, um, it, we just did kept going with the project and funded it however we could fund it and just kept going forward. Even though we didn't have that like tops down, we got it eventually. We got it. Like, <laughs> eventually you know, long enough. this is the data that's broken this is how bad it's broken here's what we've been doing to solve the issue and you know this is how much it's going to take to scale it and you know when when you can have that conversation you've done all the groundwork done all the prep work you've done you've you've invested enough in the evidence that shows that you know how to fix the problem um that was an easy conversation. That was honestly one of the easiest pitches I've ever given. <laughs> so, I mean, I think the barrier is the, just that, that preconceived notion that data is good, right? If I have data, it's good. Um, yeah. Um, Common. We've just got another uh, question here. What kind of training or education do you think would help? And who should be receiving that education? Now, that's quite an interesting one because within my role, I can be dealing with um, a team secretary or a marketing director or, um, you know, a, a junior office worker that's been given this as a project. So who who do you think, do you think they need training? What kind of training? And who should be getting that and getting involved in that? Well, that is a great question. Isn't that? LinkedIn user doesn't tell me who. So whoever you are, thank you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've got to like think on this one. I mean, I think um, you know. As I'll let far you have as a cup of coffee if you want to pause for thought. <laughs> I mean, I think in terms of um, when I think of training and education, and I think of an organization, there are certainly different levels of of training that should be available. Um, to different levels and functions within an organization. I think having an awareness training of even just the basics, right? You know, what is data? What is data quality? Where, you know, how do we access data? If you have tools already available that make it easy to fetch data, um, how, to, how to seek help if you need extra data that doesn't exist. I think having that basic awareness training package could be something that, you know, maybe a data evangelist within a company or um, somebody could put together and socialize or, or require within an organization just to kind of launch that awareness. I think whenever we've tried to do something like culturally within the company, you know, we, we would try to message it multiple ways. Um, and it really was around just awareness, not training, right? Like not education it's just rather than yeah educating i mean many years ago in former life i used to work for tnt um which obviously okay. a global logistics company and as a company i have to say they were fantastic um on training and awareness and there was there was a portal you could go to and you could select anything that you had interest in in order to develop knowledge and skill set in there so maybe maybe this is something where uh that person in the organization, even a salesperson, is not thinking about the data that they're actually using. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe like that, to put it there as a, if you're interested in this, here's some yeah. information. I mean, I think, I think once you have like basic awareness, that should be made available to everybody. Um, and then for those of you that want to go a little deeper, 
you know, here's the, I, I would recommend, um, I mean, there's all sorts of resources out there on data specifically. Um, you know, LinkedIn has courses, you know, there's all sorts of online courses. Videos and your posts. Yeah. <laughs> Follow, <Sarah. me. laughs> Follow Catherine and she doesn't stop talking about data. Yes. <laughs> Um, watch <laughs> watch Winpure's webinar series on YouTube. Yeah. A lot about data. <laughs> now you've got to do the Winpure's Wednesday webinars. Come oh, on. Winpure's Wen oh, Wednesday webinars. Yes, got it. That extra alliteration in there. <laughs> we try doing that on a Friday night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> got another LinkedIn user here. Uh, dirty data is a dreadful problem, which I think we've all recognized that yet companies don't prioritize a solution. Why do you think that's the case? Do you think that's because it's not being presented to them in the right way, as you were saying before, or? I think it's that, and then I, I would be naive to say that it wasn't also potentially a cost barrier um, to get it fixed. Um, especially, if, I mean, depending on the specific data and going back in time, cleaning up, cleaning all of that, you know, historic data up could potentially be a, a pretty big effort. Um, and so I think it's important to understand what's the difference, you know, yes. what's the, what's the leadership's reservation, right? Is it, is it because it is actually going to cost a lot or are they anticipating it costs a lot? And in reality, maybe it doesn't. No, I could, I could agree with that. And on YouTube here, why are business people still solving data management problems? Which is kind of true. If we go back to Brett's comment of 20, you know, 20 and 2018, 2020, I mean, that's a couple of years ago, nearly three yeah. years ago. Why are we still having, you know, this discussion about trying to get people to understand that they've got the problem? Why do you think that is? Oh, I think, I don't know. I mean, I just keep going back to, it's data queries. Seven years of transactional. I'm not quite <laughs> sure what the user means by that, but perhaps they're saying that there's been so many years of transactional data that it's looking like a huge project. Yeah. Is that scaring people, do you think? Um, I definitely think. And I think, um, you know, the... I don't know that companies necessarily know how to get started to your point earlier, to your question earlier. It's, yeah. um, it's, well, you know how to get started. Don't you? You contact me. Yep. <laughs> Call, <laughs> Call Catherine. She'll get you started. We're going to get some free trial. We're going to do some statistical analysis, build the use case, leadership, problem solved. <laughs> it's so simple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, here's a, a good one. Good companies have dedicated data quality teams in place, which, you know, large companies do tend to have that. Yeah. Um, should companies have dedicated data management teams for each and every system and for each and every data management use case? I think it really depends on the size of your size. organization. You know, when I, when I talk to, you know, smaller like I do a lot in the manufacturing space. So when I talk to smaller manufacturing companies, they might only have a few leaders, you know, and their organization is relatively flat. Um, and so 
I feel like quality and data are pretty tightly coupled. So whatever processes you have in place already for quality, it would probably be pretty, um, pretty not much incremental add to like also look at adding the data quality element to their scope potentially. I think that might yeah. be a solution for companies that can't like carve out a whole team. Exactly. Or even carve out an individual because, um, you know, yeah. in the first instance, a lot of what I see is somebody that's actually doing another role, um, normally within the IT department, who's told to do that too. Yeah. You know, um, there's a comment here for the LinkedIn user, expensive to fix. No, call Patrick. <laughs> Not necessarily, no, especially if you bite, take it into bite-sized chunks, right? Like, exactly. To look at all the data in the company and make sure it all is accurate. You know, that's, that might be a monstrous task, but you can't, you can't, you know, you, you've got to take it one bite at a time. So reduce the scope to what's important, audit it, get a feel for, or, you know, call Catherine, she'll help you understand, like, where's the defects in your data? Um, <laughs> and, and where to start? And, and I think um, from a lot of the comments here today, and certainly the questions we've had on the YouTube channel, it's where do you start? Um, because, you know, you might have a million records, and a million records is to you a, a, a huge project. But the fact is that once you actually look at one specific type, actually, we've only got 200,000 marketing. Okay, well, let's start there. Let's get that bit fixed. Yeah. But people just go, no, but we need the whole thing fixed. And then we need a big budget to get the whole thing fixed instead of a little bit at a time. No. Well, I know you work for uh, quite large organizations, and obviously with your skill set, that is not surprising. Um, but have you worked for the smaller companies in, in this scenario where, you know, it's a small team, but with a big data set? Um, I not specifically worked with um, small teams, but I have on specific projects within my company um, not had the the funding to go after something in a big way. And so, you know, we had to you um, here as an example, we had one specific data set. It's it wasn't very accurate, but we created a clear process on who does what when we did what I call a racy chart, responsible, supporting, inform, you know, consult and approve. It's basically a way to take a process and identify who has to take action to do what. Um, and then just by doing that, it's clear who needs to care about what data and when. And, and you can clarify and fix a lot just by having that clarity. Um, and then also putting in tickets to the IT systems to prevent access to edit data that shouldn't be edited. You know, that was not a big, a big task. Um, you know, the, those yeah. tickets got turned around within six months, which isn't bad considering it's just a grassroots project to try to get better. Um, so I, while I haven't like consulted companies specifically on how to take action, I would liken that experience to something that would be potentially very similar. To having a, a small company. Indeed. I mean, you've got data inputters all over companies <clears throat> and the biggest, the biggest culprits of bad data entry are people like me. 
um, on CRM systems where um, I'm just typing away and uh, that data quality of what I'm typing, I understand what I mean. When I look back at that customer, I understand what I was talking about. The mm -hmm. chances of anybody else understanding what I was talking about um, are actually quite slim because it's, a, it's, a, it's more of a note to yourself um, right. than it is actual data that the company needs to keep for the future. I know um, a couple of companies who've actually decided that the salesperson doesn't do the data entry, the team secretary does on the basis that it can make sense for the future oh. people. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll hold my hands up on that one. I'm, yeah. I'm bad. I don't, I'll, I'll just realize the uh, uh, boss might be watching. I, I oh. got very much better at that. Oh yeah, In continuous yeah. improvement. It's uh, I've grown and improved enormously, and now yep. I'm, you know, extremely <laughs> accurate. <laughs> it wasn't, yeah. Probably if I just said that. Anyway, <laughs> but no. So I think um, I'm just looking at the other. There's a few comments um, on transactional data can be expensive to fix. I think transactional real-time data is different from transactional data. Would you agree with that? Because transactional um, real-time data is very different from transactional historic data. I Your data at the no, moment, that, so when you're looking at a data cleaning project, are you doing it real-time or has it always been historical data that you're... I see the difference. Okay, now I'm, now I'm understanding where you're coming from. <laughs> English is very bad. It's both. I mean, I, I think it depends on, on, on the data. I think, um, you know, for, for data that's collected in mass real time, like time series data, let's say, um, you're not going to be able to necessarily fix time series data collection real time, right? Same thing with, um, like, if you're using video or, you know, um, social media, like you're not going to go back and fix the input. You can't, you don't have control over it. Yeah. Um, so I think in those cases, it's really about how do you, how do you clean the data in the, in the historic sense? How do you build, you know, algorithms or, or logic business rules doesn't always have to be an algorithm no. um, to clean that data historically. And then and um, like best practice. Yeah. Like once a week, or depending on your volumes of data, once a week, once a month, we take the master data against the existing data and we make sure that that data is rich. Yes. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And then for things that are like within your direct control, like entering details into a CRM, there's probably some things you can do to make that simple. Or, you know, there's, there's tools that help with that too, so. <laughs> Team secretaries, somebody else typing. Hey, you know what? If it's consistent, I mean, it's it's a solution, right? I mean, not everything has to be solved with tech. Absolutely. You don't get rid of us humans completely, you know. No, we're too fun. Yeah. <laughs> and I only survive on coffee, so I'm cheap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't need, uh, like, a master's degree to, you know, fix us if we break, right? Like... <laughs> Yeah. Well, we're nearly up, Sarah. I would really love you to um, leave us with some. Your, I know when we were talking on the phone earlier, you had some real uh, words of wisdom and unique 
Sarah Hanks says. So how would you summarize today's webinar and what you would want to get across to people who are watching today? Okay. I mean, I think I would say treat data like you do your products and services. Um, data is an asset and, you know, your products and services, you probably have processes around evaluating, is it good or not? Um, is that quality there? Are your customers happy? Um, and if you think about your data in the context of that's, you're the customer of the data, right? Like <laughs> you need to use the data to make decisions, like imparting those same quality thinking on the data itself, I think can go a long way. Um, I also think solving world hunger, you're going to spin your wheels and you have to start small in problem solving. Um, we always try to downscope something from a problem down to what can be an actionable project and data is no different. And so taking the data as it exists, prioritizing it to what is the most important, measuring wh what's wrong with the data, and then creating an action plan to fix that specific problem on that specific data. Um, you can iterate on that kind of approach over time. And then, you know, within a period of time, you'll be able to look back and really see that transformation happen. And it, and it happened doing it one step at a time. Oh, no, I really, I do so much appreciate your time today, Sarah, and your words of wisdom, and especially that uh, solve world hunger, try and sort a village at a time, I think is a great analogy for what happens in the data sphere on a slightly more humane level. Um, but yes, I've really appreciated today. Um, I hope all the users have as well. Thank you for all your questions uh, for Sarah. And if you watch this afterwards, because you weren't able to join us today, do feel free to email us. Uh, any other questions for Sarah that you might want her to answer, and I'm sure she'll be happy to come back to you and let you know her words of wisdom. And if you want to get started on data, then you now know who I am, and you are more than welcome to contact me. And we look forward to seeing you uh, at the Wimpo web. Where is that? See, now I can't say it. <laughs> Wimpo Wednesday webinar next month nice <laughs> it was nearly wet month but i, I managed <laughs> to play with that one <laughs> so thank you so much again sarah your time is very much appreciated and we will be talking to you again very soon i'm quite sure thank you catherine <laughs> cheers for now bye everyone bye <laughs>